Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting The No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to The No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, Light Beams? You are listening to The Know, where it's not about knowing everything. It's about coming to know ourselves. I'm your hostess, Nikki Spo. I'm super happy you're here. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And if you're feeling called to leave me a five-star rating and a review, it would mean the world to me. This is it. This is your call. It's me. I'm calling you. <laughs> okay, so today I have a gaspy guest. <gasps> You all know that I am willing to push the boundaries on all of our conversations, and today we are going to do just that with Candace Horvax. Candace is a type of woman that you cannot pigeonhole. In fact, the evolution in her career has been a transformation. She's a former adult entertainment performer, an entrepreneur in the production and Web3 space, an organizer of spiritual retreats centered on psychedelics and wellness, a mother of two boys, a wife, and the podcast host of Chatting with Candace, where she has hosted some big names that I aspire to host someday myself. Her mission is to inspire people, to expand their curiosity, to think independently, and to not be afraid of their messiness. Today, we are going to talk about how to create an anti-fragile marriage, differences in sexuality, porn's impact on relationships, motherhood, the divine feminine, Web3, and so much more. So get ready. Let's get started with Candace. You are a former adult entertainment professional. Yes. 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 Okay. So to walk us through from the beginning, like, so I, I know that like over 10 years ago, you started webcamming while you were getting your degree in psychology. Yes. Wow. You've already done more homework than most people. Okay. Thank but like, so, but here's the thing, Candice, is like, these are the stories like you hear about, like we hear about outside of ourselves, like, and on TV and like in theory, but here you are like right in front of me. So like, what the F, like, how did this start? Tell us what the beginning of your journey was like. It's so interesting because I kind of was someone who fought my sexuality my entire like young young girlhood, young womanhood. And there was a lot of shame growing up around it. I didn't really have a lot of healthy role models. So rather than try to figure out what was what was a healthy way to approach sex, pleasure, authenticity, passion, like these were conversations that weren't being had. We didn't really have social media. You were kind of left on your own. So I just decided to avoid all of it. So I was like, that's just overwhelming. That's wrong. That's bad. And I think a lot of people probably grappled with that. I was in a relationship that kind of enabled that kind of behavior as well. Like a lot of shame. What do you mean? Like, so super Christian family growing up. Um, yeah. A lot of shame around it. Like when I first met him and I was a virgin when I met him, I, we met super young. Your was, first boyfriend? Yeah. I was Who's not your current husband? No, no, no. I was 13 when I met him and still a virgin. Hadn't been physical at all. Like not even with myself, like nothing, right? Like very, very innocent. And I had a lot of guy friends and I would get off of the like different bus stops to hang out with them. 
and she was a school bus driver. So she thought I was just like making rounds with different boys at that young of an age, which is also so freaking crazy. Who is this in your life? The this bus driver? was my ex's mom. The, okay, the ex's mom was a bus was the bus driver, and she's like, "You little hoe," yeah, like in her head at s- a such right. a young age. And again, like I hadn't even kissed a boy yet. That's like nothing. Hadn't touched myself like nothing. No idea about any of that world. And um, we first started dating. The, our first date was to like Bible study. And she handed me a Bible and basically was like, you need to read this. So, I mean, from a super young age was met with just shame and like that idea of original sin, which I completely refute. Like, I think we come into this world as pure love, goodness, divinity. I don't really believe in original sin. So I did it at the time. So there was just a lot of shame around just being a, a girl and like the way that I dressed, which was normal, like tank tops and shorts I'd get in trouble and it was because I was surrounded by like all of these like very religious people so um, rather than like figure out what authenticity was or even like even have an idea of that I just ran away from it so once that relationship ended I felt an enormous amount of freedom I had just moved to South Carolina I was completely by myself I had absolutely no social network there it was the perfect place for me to discover who I was like I didn't have to behave in a certain way because everyone told me to so I'm in school and I see I'm working at Hooters and I get approached as like many of these young women do with different model like modeling opportunities and adult opportunities so I was like I'll try webcamming like this seems like a very easy point of entry I'm by myself I'm in total control it's in my own house like I'm not working with anyone else and that just seemed like a very um, safe space to like try to figure out what is it to be um, like desirable like what does that feel like to try to to like really hone in on sexuality and pleasure and being able to entice and that power that kind of comes with that really magical like deep feminine goddess energy that's kind of how I got in to the adult space I very quickly was done with webcamming it was very transactional and then that wasn't fulfilling to me at all I, I also really wanted to be in more of a creative space so I wanted to do the bigger movies I had always looked up to you know stars like Jenna Jameson or Carmen Electra Pamela Anderson and I was like I want to be that when I get older I want to harness that energy and I'm not going to do it on a webcam. So very shortly after I started getting into film and it was mostly just girl, girl for a while because I just wasn't ready to go to go all the way in. And I actually met my husband like pretty much soon as I had started webcamming. So he was with me for the whole ride, which I know is probably going to blow people's minds. That is pretty wild. I mean, OK, so Candace, like I'm hearing a lot, like a lot that I want to like talk about here. And a lot of it has to do with like the shame and like the lack of the conversation and the judgment that comes like from childhood. You know, I don't know if you know this woman's empowerment, personal influence. She's an author and she does courses and she's amazing. Her name is Regina Thomas Hauer and she yeah. wrote a book called Pussy. OK, great. Yeah. Like I love her. Um, and I love like her teachings and she talks about how like we basically like we nickname our genitals like because we're like there's like all this shame for women around our body parts like we as girls like we're taught to like be very quiet about everything we're taught that like we're to be of service right um like our purpose is like to procreate, not to actually experience pleasure. And it's really funny because I actually hosted my OBGYN recently who has like a whole sexual health like practice element to his to his business. And wow. he was telling me that like the clitoris, like you see the clitoris and it's just like you see the hood, but it's actually like six inches long. And 
he was saying that it's like the only body part on a human that its sole purpose is pleasure. The clitoris has no other purpose but to be for pleasure for women. And so I think it's so backwards that we were born this way and God made us this way. And for so many centuries, like it's been so shameful and that we grew up to believe that because I, you know, I have my own experience with shame and sex, right? It exists. And I think a lot of people experience it more than, and men experience it on, on their, in their own way. Yeah. Which we'll also talk about, you know? Um, so I just think that there's a lot to say here about the shame element of being a sexually empowered woman. I remember like being in seventh grade and getting my period and not knowing like who to talk to about it. Like, like I wasn't talking to my mom about it. I would, was an active, like I was in gymnastics and dance and cheerleading and I like didn't want to wear a pad and like sh- nobody, she's Latina and she wouldn't like, not that this is like a universal Latina thing, but like, like tampons are like, I know, like, we're, like it wasn't <laughs> something that was done. So I'm like, I can't do gymnastics with this fucking diaper on. Like I can't <laughs> do it. Like it's not going to, this is not good. But I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is bad. This is bad. Like I have my period. This is bad. And even like, making out like I remember like the first time my mom read my journal and found out that I had sex like she called me a whore and I was like I need you right now I need a strong woman to like help me process this but the point is is like the generational passing of information and feeling and sentiment and trauma and stress and shame that comes like from our mothers and like the women in our lives you know and I think as women moving forward and I hope that this this episode even on some level in some capacity can help us kind of like process these things. Like a lot of my listeners are moms in marriages and they have young kids, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're not saying like, go watch porn. Like that's the solution. We should be having these conversations about sexuality 100%. Yeah. Get in touch with your sexuality. I think if that is a huge demographic for you, it's this, this idea that once you become a mom, you are supposed to be permanently severed from your pleasure and like severed from your sexuality, I think, is the most crippling thing we can do to them. It's like almost a loss of identity. It's really it's really insane. It's like context. So you're going to show up as a very different version of yourself when you're when you're momming. There's a different version of yourself when you're going to work, a different version of yourself when you're, you're with your husband or your lover. So, I mean, it's it's being able to put on different hats and encompass all of them and not just like throw throw away your life force because it's uncomfortable for you or for other people. Who the fuck cares about other people anyway? Right. Like that's right. between you and God and you and your partner. Like, I don't, I don't know. And like relationships, in my opinion, like there's no one set of rules for any relationship. Like every relationship in itself makes its own rules, period. It should. And the thing is, we don't. A lot of people are just slapping on this, like these preset rules that everyone has deemed appropriate for that container. But then you look at the divorce rate. So obviously something's not working. We're entering into relationships without consciously crafting them we're just like okay we're just gonna just I don't know apply all of the rules that aren't working for half of the demographic and not have difficult conversations because I'm too scared of what you're gonna say or what I'm gonna say or if maybe we're, we just recognize that we're a wrong fit so we're gonna try to force it it's just all of these other like moving parts so it's you have to have the difficult conversations and you can find a relationship that is as weird and perfect as you want it's I think some people think if I say that I want to do this and I'm never going to find love and I don't think that could be further from the truth. I think it's really important that you said that. Um, Like I've talked to a lot of people like because of the show and I've talked to a lot of women and I've talked to a lot of men um, like even like off record about what 
about he- like humanity and the way that people like just think, you know, in general. And I think that a lot of people feel like they can't be a full expression of themselves and be loved and accepted for exactly that expression of themselves. If I told you how many conservative, like very famous people <laughs> were in some kind of atypical relationship, your head would explode. And oh, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And it's it's they're in a tough position because they feel like if they were to express their authenticity, that they would get kind of shunned out of that community. And they're pretty big. So only in very trusted circles are they sharing their experiences and like their how their um, romantic relationship works and just connecting through that or like having some kind of outlet to just be themselves because they can't because they're a public figure. But it is. Yeah, it's a lot of people. So you can be whatever you want to be like you can design the relationship that you want that is going to bring you the most fulfillment and authenticity to that. It's just you don't necessarily have to share with everyone. It's no one else's business, kind of like what we've already said, but it, it you can craft it as specifically as you want. So you met your now husband when you were how old? 21. Okay. And this is the beginning of your career. Yes. What is that like? <laughs> I was just getting out of a serious relationship and I wasn't looking for anything like anything to lock me down. I really wanted to focus on what I wanted to do because for the last however many years, it was always making decisions based off of this person I thought I was going to marry and it turned out to be so wrong for me. Um, And I didn't want to do that again. So I was like, I need to know what I want before I go into a relationship so that I'm not kind of washed over by what he wants. So we we worked out really perfectly. He was an entrepreneur. He had his own business and it was in the infancy kind of like it was only a couple years old. So it still demanded a lot of his time. So he didn't need me to be there all the time I was traveling. It wasn't an issue. He we got to work on our projects without um, like guilting the other person. Was he in the industry? No, 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 no. He like at the time he was doing bars and restaurants and now he's an investor. But he, yeah, he's never been on that side of the camera ever. I, I felt like it was easy. Like there wasn't a lot of judgment. There wasn't a lot of fights. I was doing girl girls. So like most men don't have an issue with that. I feel like when we, we started having the conversation of me switching to hardcore, so like boy girl content, that went on for years before I actually made the decision to do it. And initially it was absolutely not like I can't be here for that. And then it slowly started to maybe it was because he saw how serious I was about it. He eventually got to this point where he said he didn't want to make the decision for me. So like we don't believe that love is control. We don't believe that I only love you under these conditions. It's like, wow, I love you, period. And I want you to. This is so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. I think that love is so conditional. Like we have been conditioned to believe that it's conditional. You know what I mean? Like we don't even know. It's like we've been like brainwashed. We don't even love ourselves. So how do you love someone else? So, right. We love ourselves based on conditions. I love myself as long as I look good in this bikini. I love myself as long as I have a really good and thriving friend group. I love myself as long as my kid is happy. I love myself as long as my kid is giving me love. It's like we give so many conditions to ourselves. So how are we supposed to express unconditional love to anybody else? That's crazy. I mean, like, it's not crazy. It's like you're hitting on all these things that like, I know on a soul level, like to be true. So you and your husband get to a space where you're like, period, point blank, I love you. Yeah. And it's kind of navigated our whole relationship. And it's not to make it seem like it was easy and butterflies and sparkles the whole time. Like there was a lot of trying to figure it out and get down to first principles. 
why do I feel this jealousy? Why is this the the only socially unchecked behavior that's allowed? I can't punch someone because I'm not controlling my anger. That's not okay. But I'm allowed to blow up my life, blow up your life, go complain about you, do reputation damage because I'm jealous. That doesn't make sense either. Why don't I want to try to figure out where is that stemming from? What am I scared of? Because most of the time it's abandonment, right? We have this idea that we have ownership over another person. And no matter how many times you check your phone or no no matter how many rules you create for your romantic partner, if they're going to cheat, they're going to cheat. So you can love out of a place of freedom or you can love out of a place of control. And it's which one do you think is going to give you the most fulfillment, happiness, and which one is more pure? Yeah, I think he got to a place where he's like, I love you and I'm not going to control you. I have no idea what is going to happen after I we make this decision. Like maybe it's going to be too much for me. And I had to know that going into it. So he was open and honest about that, which I think is really admirable. And it was my decision alone. It's my body. It's my life. I wasn't married yet and I never thought I was going to be able to have kids. So people who like have very strong opinions that I'm now a mom, I mean, and this isn't to diminish like or say that you can't do this kind of work and be a mom. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying when I made my decision to do this, that wasn't even a possibility. So that's kind of been this other X factor that's been thrown into it because that side of the world is really ugly. Like people are really hateful because I'm also a mom now. I hear a lot about like, you can't say this because you have children. So right, even in my personal life, like I'm not, obviously I'm so far from adult entertainment, right? (laughs) This is not at all part of my life in that way. And like, I don't have that, but I have other things in my life that like creep in that it's like, well, you can't say this because you must protect your children and they shouldn't know those things. And I'm like, why should they not know? And like we cross bridges when we get there, right? Like I think the feelings are universal, right? That everybody gets to like chime in on what you should be doing or having an opinion on what is right for you and what you will regret as if they know who you are and what your soul is. But I also want to talk about how to create an anti-fragile marriage, like defining the roles and responsibilities, principles, like letting go of ego, like all of these things. It's the concept that basically you look at any trials, tribulations, obstacles, any kind of like attack on that relationship as an opportunity to fortify it. So rather than it's something that's going to weaken it, this is something that people do a lot. And I'm going to say women do a lot. It's something happens and you keep it in your back pocket and then you throw it out every time you get mad. That one time that he fucked up. So there's like there's no true forgiveness. And every time you do that, you're diminishing that relationship and like you're you're weaponizing that transgression. So if you're going to build a union with somebody, you have to have forgiveness. Like you have to have real, real thorough forgiveness. And if you're not willing to do that, you need to be honest with yourself and your partner and then end the relationship. Otherwise, you're both being miserable. You're going to be miserable together. And that's not okay. Do you have the want and desire to forgive and move forward and like build a life together? It's just a perspective change. You you can look at something and say, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened or it's happening to me. Or you can say, "Okay, where is the gift in this? And no matter how horrible the thing is, there's always a gift if you look hard enough. So I think when it comes to my decision to get into porn or that time, that very long stretch of the relationship that we were not like consensually non-monogamous. It's like all of those moments of like despair and grief and jealousy and anger and rage and insecurity. It's like you take that 
And instead of making it the other person's stuff, because it's not, it's my own stuff. Yeah. This is an opportunity to grow and this is an opportunity to transcend and then just reach like a whole new level of the game. And that's truly what it is. Like you're playing at master level. Like you're no longer, the wind doesn't blow you and your emotions change accordingly. It's like, I'm so deeply rooted because I know myself. I know this relationship. I know our goal, our goals and principles are aligned. And like, this is my person, no matter what, like ride or die. What do you think about like defining the roles, roles and responsibilities part of a marriage? So I feel like that's a huge talking point right now. And so many women get really offended because they're like, well, why do I automatically have to cook? And why do I automatically have to be like the primary parent or the primary caregiver? And why? it's just our brains are lazy. It's just want simplification. That way we're not negotiating every single day as to who's doing what. It's like we can simplify our lives so vastly and like it takes a lot of the burden and the stress off of the relationship and off of the family dynamic. So it's just defaulting to whatever makes sense within the relationship for whoever's got the skill set or the availability to do it and not to guilt the other person because it's never 50-50. There's always like, well, you know, I had a really hard day with the kids. So when he gets home, he has to do all of this stuff. Well, do you know anything about his day? Just because he wasn't there with the kids doesn't mean it was any easier. So it's like checking in with the other person and always looking at it with love and empathy and compassion and like giving your partner the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think that like the issue that a lot of women take, specifically women, is like that it is taught to be the way that the social hierarchy and like the relationship hierarchy has been taught to us, right? And that we haven't had enough modern examples, you know, because the world, I I just had this conversation with a friend like who was telling me that he's very traditional and he wants a traditional marriage. And I'm like, well, what is traditional? Because traditional is changing. Like what traditional is, is different than what it used to be a long time ago. Like for the most part you have, like most families require both parents to, to be working. Now we're both super busy. Now we're both out here. And now when we come home, how are we going to move forward that we are still a team when we get home as well? You know, and I think it like it's unique to every relationship. It's like totally, again, it comes back to this, like defining the rules for your relationship. That's not about like what is supposed to be like, because what is who cares about what anything is supposed to be like, like what works for a given family? No, I agree. And I think it's it's defining what you want the roles to be, especially if both parents are out of the house a lot. And any mom knows like your kid is sick. They want mom like you're like nurturing safe harbor for them. And then dad is the one that teaches them to take calculated risk. And like they're throwing up in the air and like leaping out of things while the moms are like gasping. Like we have very different roles that we're helping them learn and just how to navigate the world. Like we just we parent very differently. So I think moms tend to suffer a lot more from like guilt than dads do. And and I feel like a lot of that is because modernity is so new. We never had moms that were away for so long and like really trying to do everything at the like peak performance and you can't and yeah. we have to have that honest conversation with ourselves that you can't there's always a payoff there's always like some kind of cost to every decision that we're making so just like make that decision consciously which means like you know the costs associated and you know the alternatives and you know what you're going into so I feel like sometimes with me personally, if I'm in a place where I don't feel balanced and I feel like I'm not momming hard enough or I'm not working hard enough or I'm not doing either hard enough or well enough, then I can take that out on him. And I'm like, well, why are you doing more? Because I'm drowning here. But it's really 
Like he can't help me in that regard. I have to know my own limits as far as like what balance feels like. Now, what does it look like? What does it feel like? When do I feel whole, complete? Like I'm just doing everything to the best of my ability. So when we get into like the differences in sexuality between men and women, like, and, and I think this is important to talk about, especially in a marriage and relationships as a whole. I think step one is understanding the discrepancy between how much we want sex, right? Like our appetite for sex. So men, it's significantly higher than women. Women, it's like three X. So how are you going to make up for that? That difference, I guess, is like step one. And I've heard some women that say that their men can't even masturbate. It has nothing to do with porn. Like they can't even masturbate. They consider that kind of like an infraction on the relationship. Like, why would you do that instead of, you know, have sex with me? And if we're being honest with ourselves, it's like, well, a lot of times when he makes a move, I'm too tired. I have a headache. I'm too full. I'm like, whatever it is. Like, I just am not in the mood. And then I guess circling back, women also need, a, it's about like 30 or 45 minutes to get fully aroused. Yeah. That's a really big investment, especially if you have kids. That's a huge investment. Men, it's about 15 minutes, which is surprisingly long. So now not only do you have a discrepancy in like the appetite, but also the start. Like one is a, a pretty quick start compared to the, like the other one, which is a long term investment. So how are we going to navigate, like bridge that gap essentially? So is he quote, allowed to masturbate, I would say every any woman listening, the answer is yes. Otherwise, you have to really look at that relationship dynamic because that is fucked. Like it, it just is. That's his body and he's allowed to do with it what he, he likes with himself. Is he allowed to masturbate? Is porn on the table? Are you going to say yes, even when you necessarily aren't in the mood because you want to give? It's not necessarily like a performance, but it's, it's like a loving act. Like the other morning, <laughs> my husband woke up. I just I hate morning sex. It's just not for me. Like what? I, I know I don't like it. I like after like in the afternoon. That is my prime time. Like if you find me <laughs> sometime like when the kids are napping. By, well, I mean, like, morning sex with kids is really hard because they like show up in your room at the crack ass of dawn and you're like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm still tired. I want to shower. Like I want to feel pretty. Like basically you have to have this whole ritual before you have sex. And that's very much me. I want to be shaved and oiled and per- like I won't really want to put in the effort before I do it. So mo- he knows that we've been together for over a decade. He knows that, but he's doing it and I'm tired. And I'm like, you know what? This is this is a time where I'm going to choose to connect and choose. I love that. Yeah, choose to connect. I love that. Yeah. So like take one for the team is almost like self-sacrificing. Yes, I don't want to so do right. that. You're so right. Yeah. It's like I'm choosing to give an act of love and connect in this act with him. And I'm glad I did. It was great. I ended up like uh, you never it's like going to the gym. You don't regret having sex once you start doing it. So you can actually increase your sexual appetite and your and your drive the more that you do it in like these little quick spontaneous moments. And then the beautiful thing is, is the more that you say yes in those moments, the more he's going to do it. And you're like, why isn't he romantic? And why isn't he just more spontaneous? Because a lot of times we don't even know we're saying no. Like we'll like, you know, subconsciously pull away or we'll give some kind of signal that says I'm not really into it right now. So for me, I just try to make more of a conscious effort and audit when I really don't want to versus when I'm just like giving a host of reasons why I don't want to. And then approaching it through like this is connection. This is how men bond with with their lover is like in that act. So um, our love languages are just different. So knowing that it's not to get mad at him and like, why are you always so horny? It's like, no, he's trying to connect with you. So you can choose to or not and just like honor why you're saying no or why you're saying yes. Well, on the note of like, how long it takes for women to become aroused. I have always thought like, 
that can also be happening over the period of the day, like opportunities to connect throughout the day, flirting with your partner throughout the day. Like those are opportunities that like they go into your love bank, right? Like they do go into your love bank. They do stir arousal. They do make you like fantasize about your partner like throughout the day and think about looking forward to getting home and seeing them. It's really, I think it's really hard. And especially as we have growing families to like come home and be like, okay, are you ready to have sex? <laughs> like, no, we are not fucking ready. Like, we're not ready. She needs help. She needs, she needs to be like, you need to pay attention to her. I'm pointing down, you yeah. guys. Like for the people who are just listening on audio, I'm like, I'm like, the pussy needs to be attended to. Like, or or like the trigger points in my brain that like arouse her altogether. You know what I mean? Like. And those deposits can come in in like text messages and voice notes and mm-hmm. and little I'm um, think even like little thing thinking of you like you don't even need to tell me how you're thinking about me you just <laughs> need to tell me you're thinking about me and I'm happy you know like those little things go a long way for women I think in the psychology of getting ready for sex and I think the more that men do things like that the more willing their female partners will be to be like oh I feel I feel loved and adored and cared for and like he finds me. He thinks about me, you know what I mean? And those things and just how we make deposits and like for our male partners, like in their love banks, like that, that works both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I highly encourage couples to take that love language test because you might be surprised by the results. So if you're loving someone the way that you want to be loved, but that's not the way that they want to be loved, of course, there's going to be a discrepancy there. So if you realize that maybe his is acts of service and yours is quality time, then you can go into that knowing and you'll both feel more fulfilled at the end of the day. This conversation is so good, but before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. So we're going to talk about porn in relationships. And we started, you know, kind of like tiptoed into it when we're talking about whether women, where they stand on preventing their male partner from masturbating or watching porn. There's two main thought processes on the impact of porn in relationships. And I think one of it is that it can be very desensitizing and also bond breaking, right? I think that is one school of thought. And that another side of it is like that it can be really helpful and fun and engaging and not desensitizing, but actually like bringing us closer together. So obviously you are in the industry. So you have your, you are, you, I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that you think it can be helpful. 
Yes, I do. And if you look at any of the actual research, there is nothing that shows that it does desensitize you or that it decreases testosterone or even that it's addictive. So anyone that claims that it's addictive, um, those are usually religious based organizations. If you look at any neuroscientist or any therapist, it is not it is not possible to diagnose because it doesn't exist. So what it is, it's more of an avoidant behavior. It's more of a compulsion issue. It's more of um, a delayed gratification So it's like all of these other things. And if you're looking at it and you are so charged because of whether it's like competition, insecurity, your shame around it, whatever like is charging you to go after the porn, you're not doing your relationship a service because if that's the, the, you know, monster under under the bed for your relationship, you're not actually getting down to the root cause of what is the problem within within that relationship. I think porn is a tool. It's obviously it's made for adults. So I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's all in how you use it and your intentions. Like, are you using it as an avoidant coping mechanism or are you using it just as entertainment? Are you using it um, within your relationship as uh, like inspiration and creativity? So it's all in how you use the actual um, technology. So like women, we like erotica. So erotica, I want to say is like 90 percent women consume. So that's novels like dirty books, um, 50. Fifty Shades. All my books are on my nightstand. My cleaning lady just sees it. Like, she's like, right well, she knows who you, she's like, she's like, I know who my client is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're talking about like women are more likely to read the books or watch a movie, like a like a, like a, a, a normal movie, not like the, the, the right. Like you're watching The Notebook. I really wish that we, you know, were more present during sex. I feel like we always go through the exact same motions, and we both like are only there to have an orgasm. The goal is not connection, but it's just to climax. So how do we, how are we more present? How are we more engaged and alive when we are coming together? And then if you use porn, like, again, that could be super inspirational. I think for women that are maybe nervous or guilty or shameful or have like a lot of, like, they have questionable feelings around the content, let them pick first and like see what maybe they're interested in. Because I think sometimes men who are a lot more comfortable with that content they're watching content that's made for men. So it's not really going to do anything for her specifically. Like there's more content made for women. Um, and technically those those te- tend to have more of a storyline and be more beautifully cinematically shot. Um, and then some women like Gonzo stuff, right? Like we're, we there's variability amongst all of us, but just generally speaking. So I would say to make it less intimidating, have her pick something or even do something like one of those old school Skinamax, like where you purchase it and it's not super explicit. So you're not seeing anything that might be too much for her to handle in the beginning, but it's still very like spicy and can add some some flavor to that experience. On that note, then, right, like the, we're talking about adults here that like hopefully are having like very open conversations around their sexuality and consent and all of this stuff. When we think about like the impact of porn on children and that, you know, porn is entertainment. It's not it's not education. And I think it's doing a lot of people a disservice in a way when they have access to it and know, like, as, especially at a young age where you mentioned, like, it's a heavily aroused time where everything is sexualized and kids are learning because nobody is explaining it to them that, like, this is what sex should be like when this is not necessarily what sex should be like. Candace, how do we navigate that? We have a beautiful opportunity to break the cycle and we have a beautiful opportunity to do better than our parents did. So we know what we needed. We know what we didn't get. 
uh, it's our responsibility to get through our own shame and discomfort and have those conversations and be present and be vigilant because a lot of parents are shying away from it or they're just doing just abstinence only or I'll let the school do it. Like, no, like you're the parent. It is your responsibility. The buck ends there. Get through your own bullshit because your kid is more important. All of these things that are so new, porn and the way that we're consuming it online, so new, we have no idea about the long-term consequences on young developing brains. So it's probably and almost guaranteed be better to approach, approach it with an abundance of caution. So whether it's an app or whether it's porn, you need to be monitoring your kids' social interactions. I mean, there's predators online that's very real. There's this new thing called sextortion um, where... Oh, yeah, we just heard about it. Like, it's terrifying. So you'll have a predator that goes online that pretends to be a peer, gets the kid to send them an explicit photo, and then will extort them and say, if you don't send me this money, I'm going to send this to your friends and your family. You're going to get in trouble. Right. what happens is the parents haven't had a conversation around sex sexuality they've instilled shame the kid doesn't feel like they can come to them and then i think last year alone seven kids killed themselves because of this it is your job to protect your kid like there is real evil out there get ahead of it because some of this stuff is really dangerous and we focus so much on porn but like yeah i'm not saying that's not a problem i'm not saying that there needs to be paywalls or it needs to not be so freaking accessible to kids because i agree with all of that but i'm saying like it's also it's also us pulling the wool over our own eyes if we don't think that Instagram is just as dangerous or Snapchat is just as dangerous. So um, there's this app called Bark that I highly recommend to any parent that has children that are um, on devices. It has coding that can detect even cryptic messages and DMs. So if someone is, they have like different acronyms. Uh, the Child Rescue Coalition is a great account for any parent to follow. It gives parents a lot of updated uh, terminologies, what to look out for. It's very educational. It's a nonprofit when it comes to like cybersecurity and children. But um, like they'll be using like specific emojis and it's very cryptic and parents might not have any ideas. So this app is able to kind of filter through that and say, hey, this is going on. You need to go check out these. That's messages. genius. I hope that everybody like listening is like, okay, bark. Like that's what it is because it is a scary world out there for parents. Like it's a scary world out there for kids, but like parents, we don't know what to do. And there's so many ways, like there's so many ways these kids are communicating. Like, and, the, and it's, the technology is changing so fast. Create a space where your kid feels like no matter what they do, yes. they can come to you and like, yeah. you are going to embrace them with open arms. Like you can create a space where your kid has nowhere to go and they're isolated and horrible things happen when that space um, is created or that like you're their harbor no matter what you're there to help them get through it. So I think that is like, really important to establish when it comes to pornography. So circling back. Obviously, that's for adults. That is not an accurate depiction of what healthy consenting sex looks like. Like You have no idea that we did paperwork for an hour before. We already had the conversation of consent. I already said that you're allowed to put your hand on my neck, right? Like the, All of that has already happened off screen. I wish that there was some more content that kind of established that, but it's not sexy, so it doesn't do well. Having that conversation with your kid is like there's content online that is meant for adults um, you should not be watching it. If someone's showing it to you, you should tell me or someone else that you feel safe with. Um, it is not accurate of how you are supposed to be with someone. Don't feel pressured to recreate these. Always ask for consent. See if your partner is comfortable. Always check in with yourself to see if you're comfortable and safe. Like there, It's such 
there's so much complexity to that conversation and you get to have it however you want with your kid at obviously age appropriate levels. But yeah, instilling like you wouldn't show them a, this is how you learn how to drive and then put on Jason Bourne. Like you're not going to do that. That makes right. no sense. Oh my gosh, great analogy. So don't do that with pornography. You know what I mean? And again, it's up to the parents to make sure that they're checking what does my kid have access to? Who are the friends he's hanging out with um, or that she's hanging out with? Like you have to be vigilant. It's no one else's job. It's your job as the parent. I love that you're saying that. I love that you're saying that. I think it's like really scary for parents. And like, I think the natural tendency is to like avoid. Like, okay, well, uh, avoid. Worse things can happen if you do that. Worse right. things than like you having an upset stomach are going to happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then let's get into consensual non-monogamy and like having a customized relationship. Like, again, I don't foresee a, like a scenario in which I would personally be comfortable, but I think that it works for a lot of people. I think it's one in three millennials have been in an open relationship at some point, some kind of poly or open or consensual non-monogamous. So that's a huge amount compared to our parents' generation and anyone that's kind of preceded that. Uh, most people are open about, open about that and you would probably never know. Like I said online, I know so many people that are that you would never, ever, ever guess. But it's one in three. So it's one in three people that are choosing to look at sex as... Um, look at sex in a different way that most we haven't really been even allowed to or even seen as a possibility. We so my husband and I, I guess just to speak on our our experience, um, we were monogamous. We decided to be consensually non-monogamous non-monogamous while I was shooting. And the reason that I decided to do that, there was a lot of performers that thought performance was different. It was somehow it was seen as different um, because they were getting paid. They still expected their partner to be monogamous at home. And I just saw that not working. I saw it not working over and over again. It also just felt wrong. It felt it, it like an imbalance. Like I would have been a, like a hypocrite if I was demanding that. And what does it actually mean? If sex really means nothing, if I'm able to just turn it off because it's a performance, then why is he not allowed to just have it just be nothing? Um, right. So it just seemed like a really big contradiction. And I didn't want to do that. So I wanted it to be fair. I had to navigate my own jealousy. I think it was harder for me than it was for him, ironically. It's wild. Yeah. And I was the one that initiated all of it. And I was like, this is not easy. So I think the beauty in that is I was able to see his perspective from a lived reality and like give him a lot of credit for everything that he was kind of going through. But so we had our kids. And obviously, while we were trying for our first, we closed the relationship probably a year or two before that. Um, so we've been monogamish for like a while and I think monogamish, monogamish, so like, um, <laughs> neither of us has like been with anyone for anyone else for like years, like at probably at least five years. But it's like if the opportunity presents itself and it seems like it's fine, we would check in kind of thing. I feel like what it's done for me and our marriage is that if for some reason there's a transgression and something happens and there's a miscommunication and one of us sleeps with somebody else or one of us is intimate in some way with someone else that the other person's going to be able to approach it without like, this huge emotional trigger or reaction and like I don't know just like very lovingly express the hurt the pain like where they felt like, I don't know where they where they just kind of felt um, like unseen or unheard and then move through it. It's not going to ever be something that happens where I'm going to think my marriage is going to fall apart or all of a sudden my kids are like splitting custody 50 50. And now what do we do with the house? Like literally imploding our lives because I have such an unchecked reaction to one slip up. 
So I think it's really fortified the relationship in that way. It's like we something utterly horrible can happen and I'm going to be able to approach it with clarity and I'd be able to approach it with the goal of how do we forgive each other and move through this. And I guarantee he's going to have some similar version of a response to that. There's like literally nothing that one of us could do that is going to like ruin the, the marriage or the family. So I think when you force yourself to go in like these very uncomfortable spaces like being in a non-monogamous relationship, like you have to have such a deep knowing of who you are, who your lover is, your partner is, um, and then what you both want for the future. Like there is just so much certainty that you have to get through, through deep connection and communication and radical honesty. Otherwise, it's never going to work. So people that are in these atypical relationships, they've had the most uncomfortable conversations and the most uncomfortable scenarios that they've put themselves in. And they are able to kind of troubleshoot and navigate those like really, really choppy waters where other couples that just blindly and unconsciously go into monogamous relationships, something happens and it like it uproars everything. And then they just avoid or they um, like hold on to something or they resent. And it's like all of that is cancer to a relationship. So again, it looks at it goes through looking at it from an anti-fragile perspective versus like everything's fine what about web three like i don't even know what web three and like it i don't know what it is <laughs> and like the censorship and daos and daps like what what are we talking about here <laughs> so so they throw in like all of all of these things when um i get pitched to podcasts so web three essentially is like the new version of the internet a lot of people have still kind of a bad taste in their mouth because as it emerged, there were a lot of people doing cash grabs and how can I be opportunistic um, yeah. with this, like providing like the NFTs that had no legit roadmap or white papers or any assets behind it. So it's essentially a place where you can kind of create a digital community, a digital um, piece of art. So Adapt is a decentralized app. So Minds is a really great platform and they're trying to transition into that. So there's not one person at the head of the of like let's say twitter before elon musk bought it and they could say okay no one can say anything about this topic there's no one person that can censor you each community would, would kind of have like voting rates so is this acceptable or not acceptable you would own your community so if you were to be well i guess you could technically couldn't be deplatformed if you were to leave the platform and go somewhere else you would be able to download emails or contacts and move your followers wow. with you so wow. so many of us are building businesses businesses online and we don't yeah. realize it's basically digital sharecropping. So we're building something on land we don't own. And if something happens and it can happen to anyone, the wind can shift and all of a sudden like what your thoughts are now deemed illegal and you lose everything. So going to this decentralized model is a way to kind of give ownership back to the people and like give voting rights to the people. And the way that I guess that works in the adult space it's like for so long, these performers have been beholden to giant companies. There's no royalties. You can't get out and then do a regular job. So it's a, it's a huge decision to make with a lot of social fallout, a lot of social consequence, very few options when you get done. So if we eventually move into this decentralized space, then when um, people are creating content, they own that content forever. So they're forever getting paid on it. Um, they're not going to have to work for a company. They can kind of create their own community. The community is invested in them. You now know that the content is being made ethically because you'd be able to trace it on a blockchain so you know that she's not being coerced or forced and she's of age, all of these things. So it's a, a really um, ethical way to move forward for any kind of content creation and not just the adult space. But as we see with most technologies, they kind of start to develop in the adult space and then they kind of go out into mainstream. So 
um, early adopters tend to be in the adult space, which is really interesting because as much as we demonize it, I just did a panel um, in Miami and Kathy Wood was the keynote speaker. And she's like, this is where I get all my ideas from. And she's like one of the most <laughs> incredible investors of all time. So, I mean, it's, we can you have the opportunity to look at things with nuance or you can kind of go to like your default network. It's all up to you. Well, I think that that's part of it. I think that like a lot of us live in the, I mean, we, it's in human nature. And like you said, we're lazy. Right. Like our minds are lazy. Like it's, we go to default. Like yeah. that's it. Like you want to find the easiest, fastest route. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, but I think as we expand our minds and our hearts and like relationships, not just like our romantic relationships, but as parents, like of children, like you have to like, you have to get over the fact that you are, you are 100% going to have to face some uncomfortable shit. Yeah. If you want to have, like, if you want to get through, like the only way through is through, right? Like you have to get through the discomfort to get to the other side where you get to have, like, there are so many benefits and you reap so many great rewards from having these open, uncomfortable conversations. Right. And then, like, what perspective do you want your child to have when they enter the world? Do you want them to be filled with shame and guilt and judgment Right. You want them to kind of go in with an open heart and curiosity and curiosity. Yeah. It's like, yeah, whatever you're modeling is what they're going to end up. That's going to be their inner dialogue when they go out there. Candace, thank you so much. I've had the best time chatting with you. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. Like I want to do a round two. Can we do a round two? For sure. Yeah. That would be so much fun. Yeah, thank you so much. This is incredible. At any time, let me know. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow, for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless and looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.